You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. Pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58. Is this not rather the fast that I choose, releasing those bound unjustly, untying the thongs of the yoke, setting free the oppressed, breaking off every yoke? Is it not sharing your bread with the hungry, bringing the afflicted and the homeless into your house, clothing the naked when you see them, and not turning your back on your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your wound shall be quickly healed. Your vindication shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome everyone to the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I'm Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and what a gift it is to be with you again and to feature this time the seven corporal works of mercy in this podcast episode. In the next little while, we will recall the origin of the corporal works of mercy and unpack each one of them, all seven of them, with reference to different theological and philosophical fragments from within the Judeo-Christian tradition that speak of mercy. So first, let us consider the concept of mercy itself. In order to understand this within the Jewish tradition of faith as well as the Catholic Christian tradition of faith, we want to go back to some of the biblical terms that we would translate in English, mercy. First of all, in Hebrew, rachamim, or rechem, translated mercy. This rechem is also the word for the womb of a woman who is pregnant, bearing the infant child in her womb. It is that sensitivity and compassion that a woman has for her child, which is the very concrete figure of mercy, first of all, in the Jewish expression. Then in the Greek New Testament, the word for mercy is eleos. And this is the root of the English word alms. When we talk about almsgiving, it comes from this Greek eleos. This means mercy. In Latin... St. Jerome's Latin Vulgate translation, misericordia, from the words misere, which means misery or need, and cor, which means heart. To be merciful is to have one's heart attuned to the heart of the other, the suffering heart of the other, the plight of the other. Having solidarity of heart with the plight of the poor. 
And another Greek word that can be translated mercy or merciful from this Greek verb, splanknisomai, to be moved with pity for someone, for their situation, to say to oneself, I must do something about this. I must respond. This is the biblical origin of the corporal works of mercy, these concepts, as well as the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 25. Pope Francis has said that it is good never to forget that mercy is not an abstract word, but it is a way of life. A person can be either merciful or unmerciful. It is a lifestyle. I choose to live in a way that is merciful, or I choose to live in a way that is unmerciful. It is one thing to speak of mercy, and it is another to live mercy. I love how he puts it. Mercy shows itself much more by deeds than by mere words. St. Ignatius of Loyola says something similar in week four of his spiritual exercises, that love is shown more by deeds than by words. Then we have Pope St. John the Twenty-Third, who called the Second Vatican Council in session in the early 1960s. When he convoked the council, he said what the church needs today is not so much prophets of doom and gloom, but the medicine of Christ's mercy for the whole world. Back to Pope Francis, when he proclaimed 2015-2016 a jubilee year of mercy in an Angelus address during that first week of this jubilee year of mercy, he said that one cannot understand a true Christian who is not merciful just as one cannot comprehend God without his mercy. This is the epitomizing word of the gospel, mercy. It is the fundamental feature of the faith of Christ. Mm, so eloquent, so well put. The fundamental feature of the faith of Christ is rachamim, eleos, misericordia, splanknisomai, mercy. Then in his 2013 apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, Pope Francis, quoting St. Thomas Aquinas, on the primacy of mercy among all the virtues, Pope Francis writes in paragraph 37, Thomas explains that as far as external works are concerned, mercy is the greatest of all the virtues. In itself, this is quoting St. Thomas directly. In itself, mercy is the greatest of the virtues, since all the others revolve around it, and more than this, it makes up for their deficiencies. This is particular to the superior virtue, and as such, it is proper to God to have mercy, through which his omnipotence, his almightiness, is manifested to the greatest degree. This is very instructive for us, thinking about the theology of virtue, thinking about the four cardinal virtues, prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, so many other kinds of virtue, patience, forbearance, meekness, modesty, self-mastery, and so on. Mercy, misericordia, St. Thomas says, 
is the greatest of the virtues because all the others revolve around it. Mercy definitely is of a piece with love, we would say. It's, but it's not just love. We would say Christian love is a merciful love for it to be a truly Christian love. Mercy, the greatest of all the virtues. So this is some of the biblical backgrounds and recent uh, papal instruction on mercy. But let's now think of the question, where did these traditional seven corporal works of mercy come from in the Catholic tradition? We have some reference to these in the most recent Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraphs 2447 to 2448. It doesn't spell them out uh, like in a list or something, uh, but speaks of them kind of in passing in the section of the Catechism. But for catechesis, we do think about uh, this kind of punctuated list, the seven corporal works of mercy. We're going to talk about each one of them in turn. But these go back to some of the early church fathers and are articulated by many prominent theologians and doctors of the church throughout the history of Christianity. Going back to scripture, we have some reference of these seven corporal works of mercy, especially the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 25, the most uh, intensified articulation, you could say. Uh, then among the early church fathers, Hermas, St. Clement of Rome, St. Polycarp, St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. Justin the Martyr, St. Irenaeus of Lyon, Origen of Alexandria, St. Cyprian of Carthage, Lactantius, We'll hear a quote from him later. St. Hilary of Poitiers, St. Basil of Caesarea, St. Gregory of Nazianzen, St. Chromatius, St. Ambrose of Milan, St. John Chrysostom, St. Augustine of Hippo, St. Gregory the Great, Pope St. Gregory the Great, St. Maximus the Confessor, Isaac of Nineveh, Peter Comestor, St. Thomas Aquinas, just to name a few. It's good to hear all the names of the saints. I'm actually recording this podcast on the Feast of All Saints, 2022. So it's good to have a, a little litany of saints and to realize that something like these seven corporal works of mercy have deep roots in the Judeo-Christian tradition. We're also going to have some reference to the Jewish Talmud and the 20th century Jewish philosopher named Emmanuel Levinas in this podcast as we unpack each of these seven corporal works of mercy. But it's really St. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, above all, who codifies these seven corporal works of mercy, as well as the seven spiritual works of mercy. We'll have another podcast on these at another time. St. Thomas says in the second part of the second part of his Summa Theologiae, he poses the question whether the different kinds of alms deeds, again from the Greek eleos, works of mercy, in other words, are suitably enumerated. And he says they are, and he gives us the enumeration that we have to this day. He also says that the distinction of alms deeds, again, works of mercy, is suitably taken from the various needs of our neighbor, some of which affect the soul and are relieved by spiritual alms deeds, those are the spiritual works of mercy, while others affect the body 
and are relieved by corporal alms deeds or works of mercy. So St. Thomas Aquinas really is the one to give credit for these lists of seven corporal works of mercy, seven spiritual works of mercy. We go back to the book of the prophet Hosea, where we read God saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then in the Gospel of St. Luke, Jesus encouraging us to regard ourselves only as unprofitable servants, that we only have done our duty when we live according to these works of mercy, which is the very way of God. It is God's way of being human revealed in Christ, and it should be the way of his disciples, us who dare to follow him wherever he goes. So the list of the seven corporate works of mercy are these. Number one, feed the hungry. Number two, give drink to the thirsty. Number three, clothe the naked. Number four, shelter the homeless. Number five, visit the sick. Number six, visit the imprisoned. Also put, ransom the captive. So release the prisoner. And we release the prisoner by visiting him or her too. And number seven, bury the dead. Okay, so quickly, I'm going to go through each one of these with reference to a great thinker in the Judeo-Christian tradition. First of all, as I mentioned earlier, 20th century Jewish philosopher Emmanuel Levinas, one of my favorite philosophers. And he has this to say concerning feeding the hungry. He speaks of the one for the other in proximity, that is, in nearness, in closeness. The Levinas, his big idea is the universal human vocation, but especially one that only the self can admit. I am responsible for the other person who faces me because the other person calls out to me to be responsible for him or her. So when he talks about the one for the other in proximity, that is, let me substitute myself for the other because the other calls me to do so simply by being there in proximity, being close to me. And God reveals this as the very divine nature in Emmanuel, God with us, by God becoming human to substitute himself all the way to the point of abandonment through his suffering and death on the cross for us, for our sakes to save us. But Levinas goes on to talk about the form of sensibility or vulnerability that we experience in proximity to our neighbor, pure passivity, susceptibility, passive to the point of becoming an inspiration. That is alterity in the same, otherness in the same. This is deep philosophy. That's why I like it so much. But uh, I'm trying to unpack it as I quote him. Think about feeding the hungry. First of all, the call of the other that wells up in me through a prophetic message, a prophetic proclamation. The trope of the body animated by the soul, psyche in the form of a hand that gives even the bread taken from its own mouth, he says. Here the psyche, the paradigmatic psyche in the sense, soul, is the maternal body. That is, the other dwelling within the same. 
So it is for every human being. And from a Christian standpoint, we also think of the indwelling of God in the soul. The displacement of self by the divine other, the displacement of self by the other person facing me, the human other, the displacement of self even by the angelic other, the messenger of God. This all is to say all life is meant to be transformed into a Eucharistic self-giving. Maternity manifest in materiality. Paternity proclaimed in pontificality. Motherhood. Nidation of infant within the uterus. Nursing the infant after birth. Not with leftovers, but with the richest and most abundant food substance around. Colostrum. Food showcases the radical interdependence of humanity in relation to the whole of creation. So this this wasn't Levinas. This is some of my original commentary on Levinas here, what I just said, and that maternity is manifest in materiality. Paternity proclaimed in pontificality from the Latin root pontifex, bridge. That is, maternity and paternity are revealed in and through merciful love and responsibility for the other, the small other, the fragile other, the disabled other, the impoverished other. This is where the stature of true maternity and paternity come into view through this ascendance of responsibility. So feeding the hungry has a very concrete, immediate, simple understanding giving someone something to eat who is hungry. But also there's so many deep layers of this within that noble simplicity. And I think the Jewish philosopher Emmanuel Levinas helps us to uncover so many of these. So this is the probably uh, most complex quote of the podcast. So if you made it through this, okay, you'll be good for the rest of the time. Number two, give drink to the thirsty. St. Vincent de Paul says, We must be full reservoirs in order to let our water spill out without becoming empty. And we must possess the spirit with which we want them to be animated, the other facing me. For no one can give what he does not have. So rich, so beautiful lines of St. Vincent de Paul. We must be full reservoirs in order to let our water spill out without becoming empty. So in, in literally giving drink to the thirsty, yes. And parents know this very well. How often the young child asks to give them something to drink, whether it's milk or water or juice or whatever. And even before the infant, the mother who nurses her infant uh, knows this so well. Anyone who feeds any child, gives drink to any child knows this. To give drink to the other, you must first experience thirst yourself, as well as the experience of letting that thirst be slaked. And so you become a, a reservoir through your own personal lived experience. This corporal work of mercy applies to the responsibility also of administering artificial nutrition and hydration to people in serious medical conditions. Not to be understood as extraordinary or disproportionate means of life support, but simply in keeping with the dignity of the person. 
the U.S. bishops have a very helpful uh, document on this called um, Religious Directives for Catholic Healthcare Institutions. You can access it online if you just search that. And uh, you can read more about these different medical circumstances which, which fulfill these simple yet profound corporal works of mercy. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty. Number three, clothe the naked. St. John Chrysostom asks this question. Would you do honor to Christ's body? Neglect him not when naked. Do thou honor him with this honor, which he ordained, spending your wealth on poor people. Period. So again, these are so simple and straightforward, but often they seem so hard for us to do. Those of us who have what we need, have a surplus of what we need, share, not just out of your surplus, but even out of your need, with the one who is in greater need than yourself, and therefore do honor to Christ's body. Number four, shelter the homeless. Dorothy Day, a great witness to this corporal work of mercy, she says, What we would like to do is change the world, make it a little simpler for people to feed, clothe, and shelter themselves as God intended them to do. And by fighting for better conditions, by crying out unceasingly for the rights of the workers, the poor, of the destitute, the rights of the worthy and the unworthy poor. In other words, we can, to a certain extent, change the world. We can work for the oasis, the little cell of joy and peace in a harried world. We can throw our pebble in the pond and be confident that its ever-widening circle will reach around the world. Shelter the homeless, thinking about Dorothy Day and the Catholic Worker Movement. Such a powerful witness to these corporal works of mercy. Number five, visit the sick. And here's a quote from the Babylonian Talmud, which is a written redaction of the tradition of Jewish rabbis speaking of the various Jewish laws. And this is from the tractate Nedarim. One must visit the sick even a hundred times a day. He who visits a person who is ill takes away a sixtieth of his pain. Anyone who visits the sick causes him to live. And anyone who does not visit the sick causes him to die. Period. Wow. Again, so straightforward, yet such depth. And just hearing from these witnesses to mercy is just so inspiring. We ask ourselves, how could I live each one of these corporal works of mercy more, even more to the full? And granted, we're part of this mystical body of Christ. Not every one of us can do everything in the church, in the world, but we have to find our special role within the mystical body of Christ. 
always in reference to the whole, however. This is what I love about this Catholic Fragments podcast. We gather up so many different fragments so that more and more of the whole of Catholicism can come into view. Number six, visit the imprisoned. Also put, ransom the captive. That is, set free, liberate the prisoner. Here's a quote from the 3rd century into the 4th century Christian apologist and advisor to the Roman Emperor Constantine I, who was the one through his Edict of Milan, legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire, and then churches began to be built there above ground, and bishops began to meet in council and so on, beginning with the Council of Nicaea in the year 325. But Lactantius says this, If anyone suffers injury from one who is more powerful than himself, let us rescue him. Okay, again, straight to the point. If anyone suffers injury from one who is more powerful than himself, let us rescue him. Rescue the one who is being oppressed. There's a whole tradition of what's called liberation theology in the church, a very careful concept it has both positive connotation and it can go to uh, even a heretical extreme. Uh, but in the positive sense, this is the idea, liberate the oppressed. Because Jesus too was a prisoner, and so was St. John the Baptist, and so are so many other saints and martyrs. You visit someone to remind them that they have irreducible dignity and worth. This is the truth about who they are. You visit someone to be enriched by them, including the man or woman locked up in prison. And within this corporal work of mercy is to do everything we can to ransom the captive, liberate the one who is living as a prisoner, oftentimes uh, through exploitation and various oppressive structures in society. Praise God for the civil rights movement that brought a much greater measure of racial justice into being. And last, the seventh corporate work of mercy, bury the dead. Again, a quote from St. Thomas Aquinas, the second part of a second part of the Summa Theologiae, question 32, article 2. Burial, he says, does not profit a dead man as though his body could be capable of perception after death. Nevertheless, it does concern the deceased what is done with his body, both that he may live in the memory of man whose respect he forfeits if he remain without burial, and as regards man's fondness for his own body while he was yet living, a fondness which kindly person should imitate after his death. This is the concept St. Paul talks about in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 28. Nobody ever hates or neglects his own body. Instead, he feeds it and looks after it. So by burying the bodies of people who have died, their corpses, even though the soul has been separated from the body, and in most cases, the body naturally begins to de decompose and deteriorate. It still is an act of great respect for the one who has died. Uh, 
returns their body to the ground from which they were fashioned, we say, in Ash Wednesday liturgy, with the signing of the ashes, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And it regards the human body with the sacramental dignity. And this is why in the Catholic funeral liturgy, the funeral rite, there is a sprinkling of the casket with holy water, recalling the baptism of the person who died and now being born into eternal life and a spreading of the pall over the casket. Uh, again, calling to mind the white baptismal garment, the purification one undergoes through the sacramental life of the church and the final purification in Passover one undergoes through dying uh, and ideally receiving that viaticum, that food for the journey upon death or soon before death. So all these being said, we're calling the seven corporal works of mercy. Again, the prophet Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, God saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We could ask us ourselves today, how has the recent COVID pandemic intensified the need for the corporal works of mercy to be accomplished in the world today? I think it's intensified it a lot. The need is present more than ever, and we need to return to these simple gestures of shaking hands, of hugging, of resting one's hand on one's shoulder. These simple gestures of feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, sheltering the homeless, visiting the sick, visiting the imprisoned, and ransoming the captive, and burying the dead. So may we continue to ponder our common vocation to be merciful in this life, so as to be shown mercy by our Heavenly Father in the next. When we reflect on our daily life, we realize again and again that there is no scarcity of opportunities to be merciful to the other who faces me, and even to be merciful to myself. And this is the grace of God, revealed in the face of Christ, the merciful one, who guides us along his way of mercy. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness. <laughs>